The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. The Chicago Bears win their third game of the year, their first road game of the year in a 20-9 back alley brawl with the Las Vegas Raiders that gives Justin Fields a 3-1 record in major action. I bring on Brandon Robinson, my Rule of Three co-host, to talk through the game on this episode of Bear With Me. What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron podcasting channel. And I am joined today by my Rule of Three co-host, Brandon Robinson, as we are going to dive through a big win that puts the Bears at 3-2 and two on the season over the Las Vegas Raiders in the Death Star. Sounds like it was a great day from the pressers that we got the chance to listen to, and Brandon... I don't know about you, I'm feeling pretty good. Weird game. Somebody in my chat said it really well, that this was like watching a game out of 2010, but one that ended up on the right side of the win-loss column, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this This is one of those games that brings me back to when I used to coach. And When, my, when I used to coach, we used to have this 12-hour rule where after a win, only positive things for 12 hours. After 12 hours, then you can focus on some of the negative things. But the the wins are few and far in between. So when you when you get a win, you have to celebrate. And I think that's exactly what type of game this was. Absolutely. Sounded like it. I mean, so I got the chance to actually listen to all of the pressers and Jesper Horstead, Damian Williams, Matt Nagy, and Justin Fields all made some kind of comment about this being the loudest and most excited locker room that they had seen this season, which is hilarious to me because I guess I would have expected a little more out of the Bengals game. I don't know. They were juiced. They were jazzed. So it seems like it's a win that meant a lot to the team. But as far as what you saw, Brandon, and where you see this season, I'll hit you with a hard question off the bat. Did this change anything? Did you see things that you didn't expect? Or do you feel like the Bears kind of got away with one? Uh, I mean, going back to what you just said about the players, I, I would expect it. Because all of the players, the coaching staff, everybody knows that the Bears were big underdogs in this game. They might they might say they don't, but they do. They 100% do. Um, the, the Bengals game, they were they were a little favored. And it's still they still have that Bengals narrative to them. The Raiders came out fast. They, Derek Carr was being talked about in the MVP race. So, I mean, I, I feel like they should think that this is a, a big win for them, especially the fact that it being on the road and whatnot, 
Um, as far as far as how they played, I one hundred percent think that it was a a squeak them out kind of game, especially on offense. Um, I don't know how many second and ten runs they had. It it seemed like they had eight or nine. I I tried to I tried to count before I got on. Didn't even have time to count how many times they ran on second and ten. Uh, the defense played phenomenally. I was I was overly overly impressed with how they played. The pass rush really got home. Cleo Mack was playing with like his like his hair is on fire or something. I know him and Derek Carr are best friends, and you could tell that he just really wanted to get after him. He was talking smack to him every time he got back to the backfield. You could tell that they they probably had some exchange before the game uh, that really got him going in this game, which is very very nice to see. Whatever happened, whether it really was just that Khalil Mack loves Derek Carr, knows him personally, and wanted to play up to that task, <laughs> let's get that every week, Brandon, because Khalil Mack was everything his reputation has told us he should be. He was that and more today. I also, look, with with every positive thing, it gives us an opportunity to just squeeze a negative thing into the podcast, right? And I will say that my dad has told me for years, back when I was a young thing all the way up to here, which it's not like I'm old, but he would always say whenever something worked out for the Bears, he would say, you know, it's better to be lucky than good. And watching the Raiders miss Darren Waller wide open on, I think that was a fourth and four, Brian Edwards drop a 40-yard pass that hit him in the hands. He had no business dropping that. And a couple other mistakes that the Raiders had, I mean, for crying out loud, the Raiders drew five holds, or the Raiders committed five holding penalties, only two of which counted because, like, Four or three of them happened on either offsetting penalty downs or two holds in one play. The Raiders played really badly. If I was a Raiders fan, I'd be mad because I get it. I'm sure you know, just like I do, Brandon, Derek Carr plays his best football in September and it slowly peters off from there. It feels like we start every season with Derek Carr in the, oh, Derek Carr's pretty good. Haven't, you know... Maybe this is his year, and then they end up six and ten, or in this case, it'd be closer to six and ten, six and eleven, seven and ten, maybe. But I didn't expect them to turn into a pumpkin over a week, and yet it felt like they kind of did. You know what I mean? Yeah, it it really it really did seem that way, uh, especially on offense. I I know they've had trouble with the offensive line, and you really you really saw that happen. Like they just switched out their right tackle. To Brandon Parker, he really struggled against Khalil Mack. Uh, I I can't say enough good things about Robert Quinn. Like, Seriously, he's just he's just tremendous to watch. Honestly, like if if I had to pick one player on defense to watch besides Jalen Johnson, it would probably be it would probably be uh, Robert Quinn. He's like he's playing fat, and the, and the thing is about him, besides the fact that he's getting to the quarterback, because you'll hear a lot about how sacks don't necessarily determine how much an edge rusher is getting to the quarterback's pressures do, but he's getting, he's getting home on sacks. He's getting pressures. And not only that, he like, he's, he's getting TFLs. He's making all the tackles. Like I, I just, he, he, this, this whole entire D line is playing very, very impressive. It's kind of funny because Eddie, I thought Eddie Goldman was going to have a big, big impact. But it just it just seems like everybody's overshadowing him so far, which is it's nice to see, honestly. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, what's been hilarious, Brandon, is that in typical the way it works in real life fashion, right? The season he's having this year, I feel like we would have expected it last year and expected to have to take a season like last year on the back end of Quinn's deal because that's what you do when you buy a 32-going-on-33-year-old pass rusher, right? Well, it's been the opposite. Quinn looks like everything he used to be again, which is hilarious because then you look at him as he stands there between plays and he, he looks visually pretty old. You know what I mean? But he, man, that ball gets snapped. He is buzzing around the edge. I mean, if the Bears can keep this up, I mean, they did this without Akeem Hicks, for instance. I thought that the back end of the coverage was, I I can't wait to see it on all 22. Maybe they were more hit and miss. Maybe they were even better than we realized that they were. But I know that there were, what would you say? I think I think that is definitely the case because it just it just seemed like Derek Carr really didn't know where he wanted to go with the football, which is surprising because out of all the quarterbacks, that's just usually what he does. Like if if he has some deterrence, people that are coming after him, it's it's because he's checking down the ball. But right. it seemed like he didn't even know where to go to go with his checkdowns today, and I don't know. I, I, I might go on a rant here, but it just seemed like CBS had no idea what to do with their cameras. You could never <laughs> see down the field. You're you're not getting a single shot of all 22. Like, I I don't know. I I don't know if this is my first time watching CBS this year, but man, I it was just visually unappealing to to watch a lot. I don't know if you saw the same thing, but you never got to see what they were doing in coverage. You never got to see any of the route combinations or anything. Well, so that, Brandon, is something that I don't, I feel like that has been a I can't unsee it feeling since I really started watching All 22, right? Where when I used to watch the game, yeah, I was engrossed by just watching the quarterback stand there and seeing how close the pass rush got to him. And now I sit here and I'm like, where was Darren Waller? Where did Renfro go? What what does Eddie Jackson do on a snap-to-snap basis? How did DeAndre Houston Carson jump that cover two hole shot? Where was he? Uh. Can I see it for crying out loud? <laughs> like it's I, 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 I was just, yeah. I was going insane. Insane for that. A guy makes an interception, and the only thing you get to see is him diving for the interception. You don't see at all where he came from. You see him making the interception like, oh, nice play. It's like, well, was it a nice play? Was it overthrown? Like, did he did he break on the ball? <laughs> and I mean, that's the thing, right? Because based on the nothing replay we had, it looks like it was a little of both, right? I've seen plenty of safeties, and DHC in this case doesn't really count as a safety. You and I know that he's more of a dime backer. But I've seen plenty of defensive backs that don't even get there right? Where it's the trailing corner that is in the frame and a safety kind of running up, right? But it also did feel like the only reason that Houston Carson was able to get his hands on the ball is because it was about a meter out in front of the receiver, which, hey, again, better to be lucky than good, right? That if the ball was right on target or even a little bit underthrown vertically, chances are the wide receiver can at least put his body in front of it and Houston Carson never gets in front of there. But... We take the interception anyways. The only real problem then, maybe, do you want to talk offense at this point? Or do we want to talk offense in a little bit? Because I feel like the offense was every bit 
positive. If you want to talk about Khalil Herbert getting 75 yards, Damian Williams, 64 yards, a lot of the creative things and frankly, surprising execution moments that I thought they had as it was frustrating. You already hinted at the second and long runs. It felt like the bears were trying to make Justin Fields play the most difficult game possible. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and what a lot of people don't necessarily understand why second and long is like second and long runs are such a bad thing. It's because for the play to be quote unquote successful, it's very, very difficult because a second and 10 run and say you run it for five yards, that is not considered a successful play, which sounds crazy because you got five yards, but it's not considered a successful play because a third and five, which is the next down, isn't, isn't an ideal situation. So if you're not setting up for an ideal situation, then that is considered a bad thing to do. So, I mean, being it that like your average quarterback is pass attempt is somewhere between 7.5 and eight. It's, it's, it's usually a better thing to pass in that scenario versus just run it. Because I mean, just getting five yards is a, is an accomplishment because there are a few running backs that are averaging five yards per carry. So I, I just think there are a lot of other things that they could have done. I, I completely understand not wanting to just leave a rookie out to dry because if you incomplete the pass, you're obviously on third and 10. But it just seemed like they, they really got away from RPOs. I think they could have ran some screens on second and 10. I didn't see any of those. I was just, I was just very underwhelmed with the play calling. But if we're going to try to stick to some of the positives, I was overly impressed with Khalil Herbert. It seemed like the Bears were overly impressed with Khalil Harbour because Damian Williams was the one that was starting. By the end of the at the end of the game, you could fully understand who was now the starter. That was Khalil Harbour. Oh and yeah. Why that is yeah, why that is so important is when you hit on these A three running backs, that makes it so you don't have to pay your running backs. Because you see all these running backs that are getting paid that keep getting hurt. Saquon Barkley is a guy that's gonna have to get paid. Just got hurt again, tripping on somebody. And so when you got guys that just show amazing bursts like Khalil Herbert does, that's you just love to see it. Right. I mean, speaking, we'll leave the Monty conversation for another time purely because, uh, it, you know, I could technically qualify it an offseason topic, Brandon, but the truth is, is that I feel like Monty has just made fairly so many fans out of his never say die attitude to running. The, it feels like that untackable running back is such an icon in Chicago that when Mo- or when Montgomery slots right into it, like, yeah, I, I don't really want to pay him like the eight to $9 million a year that I think he may warrant even $5 million a year over a couple years. But I also don't want to kick that hornet's nest. Instead, I'll point to the Khalil Herbert bang, Ben bounce outside zone running where he looked quick. I, I think nobody's going to question that he looked faster than David Montgomery, which is not a slight to Montgomery. He just looked fast and ferocious, you know, wherever there was a hole, he took it and he took it as far as he could. Does that get him 11 yards? Maybe nine yards. Sure. Six yards. Okay. One yard. All right. I mean, Herbert was just 
everything you would expect out of an outside zone runner. And I don't know about you, Brandon. I always kind of thought that they planned on having Montgomery be more of an inside zone runner. So when they switched to outside zone, somebody like Herbert ending up in the pipeline made all the sense in the world. Even so, I think you'd agree. It's a lot easier to write that down on paper as we did it. We got Khalil Herbert running game solved than actually seeing it in a real game in an away game against the Las Vegas Raiders where he totes it for 4.2 per carry and ends up being the Bears leading rusher on the day, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. I I think it was a tremendous, and the thing is that you, that you like to see is they're targeting a day three running back that fits the scheme. Like you'll get a lot of times where teams will just draft a guy at a position they feel like they need, but it won't fit the scheme at all. Khalil Herbert was perfect for the, the scheme that they that you would imagine they keep running, which is outside zone. It, it's hard to find running backs that are in college that run outside zone because there's so many teams that run spread, and usually with spread teams you're going to get inside zone versus outside zone, which is a completely different running style. Absolutely. And, you know, we're talking about running styles, but I feel like I have to go back, Brandon, because I keep I can't get these play calls out of my head. Some of them. And I I think, you know, I really don't try to be somebody who gets on the mic and just complains about play calling, especially because I mean, I saw this on Twitter, right? Plenty of people making the assertion 100 percent serious. Matt Nagy's calling the plays today. Why? Because some of them aren't working. Bill Lazor's play calls would work. Like, it, it must be Matt Nagy. And I don't think that's the case. Even so, I mean, some of these, let alone the second and ten runs, which are a problem in and of themselves, because you can't effectively run a play-action threat on on third and eight. I think you know that, right? Where you're not going to fool any defender. You're not going to pull any linebacker when you use a play-action handoff from under center on third and eight. But... The third and one play calls really, I did not like all of the inside running. I mean, I can't remember if I've said this on the podcast yet, but somebody described this game as a throwback to 2010. And I remember back there in 2010 being like, running up the middle doesn't work. Why does everybody do this on third and one? It's like a free stop. And yet the Bears gave away two of those when they were up 14 to three. And it's just something I would love to see the Bears move away from. They can still run the ball. I know a whole lot of people, they just trust Justin Fields so to the point where they're like, let's just throw the ball every down i'm not there yet but i do think that you could do a lot more whether it's pulling a one or a wide receiver across and potentially using a pop pass to get him running around on the edge or a field's edge read where khalil herbert can take the ball to the left or fields pulls it runs to the right there's a lot more that you can do than just taking a snap from under center with seven offensive line or offensive linemen lined up which by the way is the class of alex bars arlington hambright isaiah uh wilkinson and then the rest of the bears offensive line so not exactly the grandest running offensive line in the country and then they fail on third and one you know what i mean like this doesn't feel like a successful strategy going forward Right. I mean, because the thing is, you're telling the defense that you're running it by putting seven offensive linemen out on the field. What do you expect? Now, the one one thing that I will say is I feel for this coaching staff on these third and short, these fourth and short plays because they don't have any line. They don't have any wide receivers that block. 
Allen Robinson <laughs> does not block a soul. Does not block a soul. He's lucky I don't have more time. I, I like I don't want to waste my Monday because I would just watch tape and put up clips of him not blocking because he just doesn't block. So like in my in my idea as a defensive coordinator, the one play that I don't want to see you run on third and short is a pitch outside because that means that our cornerbacks are have to tackle the running backs which the Bears have run numerous times, but the wide receivers just don't block. So this coaching staff is probably thinking, all right, well, let's get them off the field and let's bring on some linemen. But the thing is, when you do that, everybody knows that you're, that you're running the football. So, I mean, it's a really, really tough spot. I would love if they could just go empty and then try to run the ball that way, like on a QB draw or some sort of jet sweep action especially all bash running that type of play versus just qb power i i think they would be much better off doing that type of stuff and yet brandon you and i both know that the primary reason that they're struggling to run out of empty is because the offensive linemen that they have they're struggling bad enough. I mean, the, I think they tried a quarterback draw, and it looked like Cody Whitehair got blown up so, so badly that the draw just completely puttered. And instead of Fields taking the ball, running straight forward, he instead had to shuffle around somebody, tried to spin move, and got popped. But I don't know. It is such a catch-22. If anything, and I'm not normally a 12 personnel, let alone a 13 personnel guy, but I almost appreciate the fact that the Bears are just trying to line up with so many potential blockers that instead of approaching offense, Brandon, like they're thinking, oh, how many passing threats are we going to pull out of this? It's it's becoming more, ooh, bet you don't know how many people we're going to block with, and it's weird. It's definitely unique, but I guess at least they're trying to address their primary problem, which showed up again in the late second half or in the late first half where they did a standard nine step drop. And you tell me, did Fields get too deep on that sack where Crosby and I think it might have been in Gakaway met at Fields and just ended the quarter? Or did our tackles just blow it that badly? Well, the tackles 100% blew it, but they also like. That's what those guys are. Those guys are speed rushers. They can bend. They can bend around. And the the one thing that our offensive tackles struggle against edges that can actually bend. And on top of that, Fields has struggled consistently with not sliding up into the pocket. I, I think one thing that you could take away that Mac Jones does do well. The like one of the things that he does really well is he slides up in the pocket. Now, I don't know if it's Justin Fields not having necessarily confidence in his offensive line to slide up, or he just isn't comfortable at all doing it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the problem is, but he just refuses to slide up in the pocket, which I mean that that is troublesome, honestly. It, it's troublesome, but at the same time, I also have seen enough rookies play to know that it's. For an offensive or for a quarterback coming out of Ohio State, where I don't know how much of his 2020 tape you watched, but his interior offensive line, for what you would expect out of a 
of, of out of an offensive line or interior part piece that had Josh Myers on it, I thought they really struggled. Like, I don't think that Justin Fields necessarily had a great environment to to learn to step up because he either didn't need it or he took pressure from in front of him when at OSU most of the time. But that's being very specific. I mean, it's kind of like how Justin Fields struggles with anticipation because he's always had a howitzer of an arm and Chris Olave was just open enough that he could through whatever he felt like it. I don't know. I'm willing to wait a couple more games, especially with, I mean, to talk about a positive thing, Brandon, we could transition into things Fields has shown us he's growing in. I don't know about you. I feel like Fields' timing is looking a lot better, way less hesitation, especially on, for instance, a couple of his throws to Allen Robinson, where he just took the snap, one step drop, and rifled the ball to the outside edge. That's exactly the kind of growth you want to see in a quarterback that took nine sacks just two weeks ago, which feels like half a year for some reason but only two weeks ago he hesitated so much that he got sacked more than he threw the ball so he's taking steps in the right direction you know I that's one thing I actually thought was really interesting about the game was on multiple occasions from under center they did non-play action three-step drops and in today's NFL that is just not what you see at all but the one thing I will say is if you have a quarterback that throws with anticipation and gets the ball out quick, it's fine. You don't need play action. Because the thing is about those plays is you're throwing it outside of the numbers and you're throwing it quick. So the linebackers and safeties don't matter at all. Your quarterback just needs to throw with anticipation and trust his receivers to get open. And I honestly think that's what you saw in this game versus the Browns game. He's not waiting for his receivers to get open. He's hitting that third step, hitching forward, and throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those games that – so I think Matt Nagy described it in his postgame presser as a back-alley brawl. Like, this was a test of guts and metal, and, I mean, nobody exemplified that more than Justin Fields, who not only took a, another hit – very similar, if not a little scarily similar to that Clemson shot he took where a slow spin move got him smoked in the hip. But he also hyperextended his left knee, even owning up to that in his postgame presser. And yet he soldiered on. I mean, there was this was a test of guts. The Bears seemed to come out on top. I mean, it's one of those where you could see clear steps forward. I don't know. I'm I'm trying not to drink the Kool-Aid too hard because they go up against a Packers team that, you know, you could say all the ev- any given Sunday stuff. I, I'm not sure they're ready to beat them yet. But it was definitely a game where, given the way it played out, it was it was cool to see on all fronts, you know? Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean you're you're gonna take you're gonna take the win and move forward because how this division's looking with the Packers up top and all the defensive injuries they could possibly have. I mean, you're going to take the win because this division's 100% up for grabs. And I mean, you're going to you're going to take the developments from the quarterback because at the end of the day, that's that's what's most important. That's what's most important is the development of your rookie quarterback. People have way too high expectations of of rookie quarterbacks nowadays, which is which is kind of crazy. You just you need to take every little bit of what you every little positive of what you get and just move forward because at the end of the day that's what you want to keep doing is stacking those positives absolutely and with fields now what is this so he is counting the bengals game as major action i think this puts fields at three and one as a as a quarterback so you know 
Solid start. He's now got a meat grinder with the Packers and the 49ers and Tampa Bay coming up. But we're still on the Raiders game. And after this break, we'll talk a little more about it. Brandon, I'll see you on the other end. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back with Bear With Me, talking through the Las Vegas Raiders game right after it happened with Brandon Robinson, my Rule of Three co-host. Now, Brandon, there is one thing that I haven't mentioned as we talk through some of the things we feel like we might need to see change as before the Packers game happens. Uh, I want to start with Jakeem Grant. We just cut a punt returner that wouldn't catch anything, and now we have a punt returner that seemingly will not not catch anything. What did you think? Was that a little ridiculous or what? I mean, honestly, I know they're in Vegas, so these two would probably enjoy it. But I I really wish they would leave Jakeem Grant and Chris Tabor, leave them both in Las Vegas. Just be like, hey, guys, you're not allowed on the plane on the way back. Or just the worst performance you could possibly imagine. Just don't come back on the plane. We're going to leave you guys here. We'll get new guys and fly back. Because I, I've never – why would you ever return a punt while in your own end zone? It just makes no sense. Like I, I don't, I don't know the rules, but I, I think you could get a safety by doing that. If, if you're, if you're, if your team is committing holding while you're catching the punt return, that might be a safety because there's no way that you could mark it back any any further. So I, 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 just, I have no idea what he was doing. I know he talked about Devin Hester, so I don't know if he was trying to live up to that bill. Um, I don't know why would you would even try, considering the fact that a team traded you just to get you off the books. Uh, but I, it was – I mean, he, he lucked out quite a bit, which is a good thing. But I, I just don't really understand – I don't understand how he's allowed to do it. Like, yeah, after – because he, he, he returned it from the one, which you don't do, and then he returned it from his own end zone. So mm-hmm. like, it was just two cardinal sins of punt returning. You put your heels on the five-yard line, and you don't move backwards. If the ball goes over your head, it goes over your head and into the end zone. Man, you, you say that. 20. I've heard put your heels on the 15. I've heard put your heels on the 20 before. I mean, like, everybody's well, obviously just... got – Everybody's got their own definition for where you don't step backwards. 
But either way, Akeem or Jakeem Grant fielding some of the punts he did was nothing short of a little ridiculous. And we'll see what happens. I mean, it's the the goofy here and there about it is that Jakeem Grant certainly looked like the fastest punt returner we've had since, say, Tariq Cohen, like the most potential danger. But at the same time, punt returns are something where, gosh, let's just put it this way, like you can't uh you can't make a mistake on them and expect things to go well, right? Like, I I personally feel like, anyways, that's something where if Grant did this in another game, it could it could turn into a muff, it could turn into a safety. I don't know. Either way, I feel like him. You said him and Chris Tabor, like they've got to just make sure their rules are a little bit more square going into the Packers game, because the last thing the Bears need is a third phase mistake in that setting. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I just – the thing that bothers me is, like, at one mistake, yeah, it's fine. You talk about it. You get it corrected. But, I mean, two back-to-back mistakes, and it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, like, they won, so it's hard not to harp on it. Like, you don't want to harp on it, but it's just like – like, they're just one of, one of the things that you just don't do in football. And he just – he did it twice. So, it's, I, like, I, ho- I hope it doesn't continue – um if they cut him i wouldn't be surprised but at the end of the day like it's it's on the special teams coach because i mean you're either telling them to do it or allowing it to happen one of the two that makes sense i know one thing that i actually think so you tell me if i'm just being too positive which happens plenty of times and you know that but i do think that going into this packers game the bears will have a better day protecting justin fields because you mentioned this in the early part of the show i do feel like max crosby carl nassib and yannick and gackaway were always going to be a real handful for the bears given the way they go about rushing the, uh, the passer whereas more power-based rushers like preston smith zedarius smith kenny clark and the rest of the packers defense or whatever's left of them and not hurt is more suited to something that the Bears can handle. I don't know how they'll run the ball against them, but from a throwing perspective, I do feel like they're probably setting up to not call 62 point... I think this is 62.1% of their plays as runs. You know what I mean? Right, 100%. I mean, you definitely definitely expect them not to, to give up as many pressures. I mean, they have three pass rushers better than anything... The Packers have right now. The Packers are just in a disarray. Their best best defensive play, best two defensive players are both gone. Um, I think I think that game is honestly wide open. Uh, they just need to somehow find find a way to cover Devontae Adams at all costs. Bracket him, hold him, do it, do whatever you can. Yes, I mean, as, just the one thing you can't allow happen is is to have Devontae Adams beat you. I, I honestly I wish. CBS had a better product so I could know how they stopped Darren Waller, but we'll get to all 22 and, and talk about it later. I mean, you bring that up. We can cycle back to defense. We heard third and Renfro's name. I think once we didn't see Darren Waller make a noticeable impact. Henry Ruggs caught a couple of balls, but either way, that Raiders team was loaded with a lot more receiving talent than I think bears fans that didn't know came away with it. 
You know what I mean? Like, whether it was Sean Desai Magic or Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson, even Kendall Vildor showing a little more than we anticipated, I would have expected the Bear or the Raiders to force feed Waller, for instance, certainly more than they did. And instead, it it kind of felt like, like let's put it this way, right? It, it, this, for some reason, Brandon reminds me of basketball. You could tell me whether this is ridiculous or not, but a really good defender makes his the shooter in front of him shoot poorly, right? It's not as if the guy doesn't take shots. They just seem to make either poor decisions or their accuracy's off. You know, they have an off night. And I can't tell, and I'm dying to see the All-22, because I, I want to know whether the Raiders just played badly or whether Sean Desai's defense pushed them into playing badly, because the latter says really good things about a team whose defense I was really worried about going into this season, but they've consistently impressed, you know? Well, and that's one of the, the things, like, while the D-line did play really well, they weren't getting to Derek Carr early and often. Like, they were getting to Derek Carr late. Like, they were getting, they were getting coverage sacks, which means they were playing really well in, in coverage, which, I mean, makes me want to be a football geek and, and get the All-22 as soon as possible just to see how they do it because – the thing is about the, the Raiders is they have Darren Waller. No one can guard him. I mean, you might you might bracket him, but then you got third run from who it looks about unstoppable. I mean, you, you saw when Roquan was one on one with him, he, he nearly sat Roquan down. And I mean, that's just what he's doing to, to about everyone nowadays. But they somehow stopped both of them. I don't know how many yards Waller had, but it, his performance was definitely underwhelming. And I, I just think it was a good performance overall. Waller, 4 for 45, well below his standard on eight targets. Renfro, okay, so my once thing was way off. I clearly was spacing out during defensive games or something because he was 6 for 56, Ruggs, 3 for 51, Brian Edwards, 2 for 22. Should have been a lot more from him. But, yeah, I'm with you because – this Raiders team, it felt disjointed. It felt like they didn't run the ball particularly well. They only ended the game with 71 yards off of 22 attempts, so it wasn't for a lack of trying. But even so, I mean, this was a defensive performance that I feel like is probably going to go unnoticed by a lot of the league, chalked up to it's the Raiders. But this will be that. This is one that I feel like we've now seen them uh Brandon they stacked a great defensive day in since against Cincinnati with a great defensive day against Cleveland with a kind of less than awesome defensive day against the Lions that they got away with because the Lions kind of helped them out with some of their turnovers Quinn made or Quinn a really nice play to erase an otherwise not so great drive and then another really nice day from Las Vegas I don't know Am I am I wigging out here, or is this starting to turn into the trimmings of another good defensive unit in Chicago? No, it, it definitely it definitely does. I mean, when you have a D line that's that great and three pretty good coverage coverage guys, talking about Roquan, Jalen Johnson, Eddie Jackson, and I mean it has, it has all the makings of a, a good defense as long as they can stop the run, which they did today. They held Jacobs to 3.2 yards per carry, which is which is outstanding. And then, I mean, Derek Carr, he's being talked about in the MVP conversations. They held him to a QBR of 28. I think the, the average QBR is like 53. They only threw for 206 yards. 
zero touchdowns, 5.9 yards per attempt. I mean, I mean, every way you put it, they shut down the Raiders offense. Yep. And speaking of, because I know you're a defensive guy, help Bears fans with their catharsis, right? Did you think that Roquan's PI call was PI versus face guarding? And did you feel for Roquan on that uh, unnecessary roughness call in the red area? But here's here's where a lot of people get mixed up. A lot of people, football fans, obviously played football, right? High school high school football is wildly popular, and in high school football you can't face guard, which means even if you don't touch them, you you can't face guard them. But in the NFL, you're allowed to face guard. Now here's what Roquan did: he face guarded, but while you're face guarding, you cannot touch the receiver because if, I'm you're assuming if you're face guarding. You're not looking back at the football. You can't touch. You can't touch the receiver while not looking for the football. You can't touch the, the receiver at all five yards down the field. So I mean, it's one of those things where he was in great position. He would have just loved if he could have held held back a little bit. But it's, I mean, it's thirty yards downfield. It's hard not to do that. I mean, he he was in great position. Hopefully, he can just learn from it and uh, hopefully he can accept the penalty as a penalty and learn from it and grow from it. What about that uh, unnecessary roughness call? I always feel for these guys in those settings, right? I think this is either the second or the third time that Roquan's been tagged on almost exactly this kind of play, where Roquan's in his zone, a wide receiver catches the ball falling down, Roquan takes one or two steps to his, in this case it was his left, sometimes it's been his right, and puts his shoulder into the guy, and what do you know? It's his face now, you know? And... Nobody wants high hits, right? Nobody wants anybody getting hit in the face, and I don't want to excuse anything, but I do always feel for the defender where he's reacting literally as fast as he can, and that wide receiver is a lot taller than Roquan Smith. That shouldn't be the head and neck area, but often it ends up being that way because receivers adjust to the ball wherever it is, you know? Right. I mean, he's just reacting. He's trying to blow up the receiver. He's trying to to knock the ball loose. And it, it's really hard not to aim high when you're trying to knock the ball loose. But at the end of the day, yeah, like it, it was a penalty. I, I, th- I think they correctly called it a penalty. Um, it's just one of those unfortunate plays. Right. One thing that I do also feel like, Brandon, just to talk about it in Roquan's case, frankly, we could apply this to Eddie Jackson, we could apply this to Roquan Smith, Cleo Mack, so on and so forth. If anything, I feel like the funny part about this game is, so Roquan takes a penalty, two penalties specifically, right? And, and yet, I feel like we, we can sometimes expect defenders to be, I don't want to say perfect, but better on every down than the guy across from him. And based on the rest of the league, I don't feel like that's the expectation. You talked about the Ro- Roquan accepting that as a penalty and trying to grow from it a little bit. I mean, next time, chances are the receiver doesn't like stutter back towards the ball and it ends up being a clean face guard, right? Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you'll take the guy in position to make a play every time and live with the penalties here and there because when you end up put, like holding the defense or holding the offense to what probably could have, should have, would have been 16 points, it's still a great day, right? Right. You're 100% going to take always take the player that's in position that knows what he's doing versus a guy like Tashawn Gibson being way out of position, having his back turned to, to Henry Ruggs. You're always, you're always going to take the guy that's in position. That's what I figured. 
What a funny thing. It looks like the chat's saying that Roquan Smith, when he was asked about the penalty, he said, oh, yeah, I thought that was BS. Makes sense. Yeah, it's very modern. I, I expect it. Yeah, you expect the. Yeah, I, don't I, even know which one it, right? I don't even know which one they're talking about. They were talking about BS on, the, it's bad. on that. On the base garden or the unnecessary roughness. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were both both good like good calls by the refs, but just unfortunate. Right. Either way, I feel like there was a lot of positives. I can't remember if we've talked about it yet. I think the most impressive thing I saw from Fields, besides his toughness, which I really felt like spoke for itself, I love the fact that Fields was able to convert or at least make the right play on as many of those third and longs as he could. This was a game where I really feel like I don't want to use the term soul-searching that implies it's worse than it is, but if there's something the Bears could get better at before between this game and the Packers game, it is the way they handle those second and longs. Even so, I remember the play after Justin Fields let the or Justin Fields left the game. Andy Dalton comes in for a series, converts the third down. Thank you, Andy. Wasn't gonna go with the podcast without mentioning it. Hands the ball back to Justin Fields, who ends up with a third and six. He delivered a really nice strike to Allen Robinson, keeps the drive going, converts into a score. Later in the game, as I again don't want to act like the game was getting away from the Bears, but they could really use those extra three points to make it a 17 to uh, nine game it was at the time. Fields delivers that third and 11 strike to Mooney. Really nice to keep the drive going, keeps those chains moving. I don't know. I feel like 111 yards and one touchdown, which is a really nice throw in and of itself, is not going to draw any eyes. But from a young quarterback perspective, I would have expected more mistakes than we got from Fields. I don't know. I was impressed. Lowercase I impressed, but impressed nevertheless, you know? Right. I mean, the thing to take away from this is they had the lead the entire game. So, I mean, they didn't they didn't need him to make an exceeding amount of plays, and especially when they're as successful as they that as they were running the ball, they didn't really need him to make plays. Now, the thing that was so encouraging to see was him making those plays on third down because what a lot of people don't understand is on third downs that's when you really have the scheme throws. It's you're calling a specific play to throw to a specific receiver. And it seemed like every time they were, they were in those scenarios, he was able to connect with his receivers and, and convert it. Now, the one thing I will say is they got to figure out some way to, to use him running the football that is in his best interest. Because it just seems like every single time they're, they're in these spots – it, like they're like QB power, QB sweep, plays that he's just he's just not equipped to run. Like he's six three, two hundred thirty pounds. He's not that type of guy. He's he's not Josh Allen. He's not lowering his shoulder. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not lowering his shoulder. He doesn't want any of that. That's why you see him turn his back on the half spin and just expose his ribs like that. So I, I just think there there are other ways that they can use him. Get get him in open space to be able to use his four four speed. I, like I, I think there are ways they can use him on boot plays in twelve personnel where they can block the defensive end instead of just letting him free, and so they can get him to the edge and let him make plays that way. 
talking about that boot, Brandon. I mean, so the Bears only ran one bootleg, which I'm sure there are going to be plenty of people that are like, no, no bootlegs. But let's set that aside for now. I did laugh out loud at how Fields very casually just blew right by the defensive end that that was there to try to contain him. I mean, it's silly when we talk about this guy who's Justin Fields is, you said it well, 6'3", 235, runs a 4'4", and he feels really reluctant to run. Like, whereas Josh Allen, whatever his measurables are, will throw his shoulder and Kyler Murray will run whenever he gets the chance because he knows what a weapon it is. It really feels as if Justin Fields wants to throw the ball. He wants to make that eight or that 20 to 25 yard, even 15 yard intermediate throw like he doesn't want to check down. (laughs) If anything, that's part of why I would also tip my cap to the first major play that Justin Fields made a simple check down to Damian Williams that Williams was able to turn to the 13 yards off a vertical concept that was right on time first down and the first real major first down the Bears had after Yannick Ngakwe's foul but I say this to say Brandon what is kind of funny about watching Fields especially with the creativity that the Bears could employ trying to put him out on boots I've seen it. It's really common in the NFL right now to drop that edge defender, the one who's away from the run anyways, right? So say a team is under center, they run a play action boot where the running back would run to the left, but then the quarterback wheels around and runs to the right because obviously you always boot the quarterback away from the action of the run. It feels as if defensive coordinators are starting to make it a staple rule to just have that backside edge defender just penetrate down in case it's a play action to tr- or in case it's a boot to try to take that away and even so this is now miles garrett who he did this to and whoever that was i'll have to check the tape for it where he just ran right by him which is cool at least it opens up opportunity you know right right yeah exactly you just you want more of those opportunities because those are those are situations to where you can run get. the only thing that sucks about those is it, it kind of limits the round the route concepts that you do run a lot of them are just basic levels concepts so it's relatively easy to pick up as long as the team's not playing man coverage uh, so it, it, it's tough but they look at they'll get better as the season goes along but we're we're quite a bit of ways away from the bye week so they need to the, the hard part is they're going to be installing plays every single week during the week and they only have three days of practice. Yep. And I got to say, though, before we wrap up, Brandon, now Fields might enter what – I mean, if there, if we thought that things weren't at a fever pitch, the Bears take on the Packers. And if memory serves, they take on the Packers at home. Like, somebody check me on that here in the chat just so that I don't talk out of my – Like, this – If I mean, God forbid – for the rest of the NFL and Twitter and whatnot, Fields wins this game, which, like you said, Kevin King starting, which is really all you need to know, right? This this game is an opportunity, and it's an opportunity the Bears really could come out on the other end with a win, and what a way for Justin Fields to kind of announce himself in at least the Bears fandom, right? Being what feels like the first quarterback to beat the Packers in God, I don't want to know how long. Right, yeah, the, the Packers are four-point favorites on the road in Chicago. Uh, very, very interesting game, very important game. I believe this would be for first place in the division, which is obviously huge. 
Um, whenever, whenever you can get momentum with, within the division, that's a, certainly a good thing. Uh, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a tough game, but I'm sure the Bears will be prepared. Speaking of the division, before we close up, I have to ask you about the absolute agony fest that was the Lions and the Vikings game. What did you think of one of the funniest football games I've watched in a while? I mean, it was just the Lions in typical fact, fashion fighting back, quote-unquote fighting back, and then losing, just finding a way to lose any way that they possibly can. It's just like, like every everybody and their mother wants to give Dan Campbell uh, every single participation trophy every single Seriously. game. And it's like, all right, well, let me look at the record real quick. All right, yeah, that does say 0-5. All right, let me look at uh, point differential. Oh, yeah, minus 40. What is that? Fifth worst in the league? All right, yeah, still still doing pretty bad. I mean, it's so funny, too, because I feel like Vikings fans weren't happy that it was as close a shave as it was because the Vikings certainly went from at least modestly in control to to not in control at all, losing and needing a game, game-winning game field goal, which isn't even common in Minnesota just given their kicker trouble. So funny game to watch on all sides of it. And uh, and a goofy lead-in as the NFC North potentially comes to a head here next week. Final thoughts on the Bears-Raiders game. Go. My final thoughts are uh, it was a great game. Great win for the team. I, 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 I'm sure this team is very, very happy to get this, get this win and uh, excited for next week for first place in the division, no matter what point it is in the season. Absolutely. I mean, my final thoughts are simple, Brandon. I came into this season wanting to see fields develop. That was really all that mattered. And I was going to take whatever season the Bears got. Given what happened in Cleveland just a couple weeks ago, I know I was starting to look at the rest of the schedule thinking, oh gosh, how many many more games are they going to win? But... This was a plucky contest. I mean, whether it was just a couple nice bounces of the ball or what, the Bears came out, they got the lead, they kept the lead, and I I can't say they looked dominant because they didn't, but they did look relatively in control. I mean, this could be a team that, especially if Justin Fields develops a little ahead of schedule, could be more dangerous in December than we think they will. Now it's just a matter, in my opinion anyways, to see if they can steal a win from one of their next three opponents. Because if they can leave that stretch four and four, I don't want to say they've got a shot too loudly, but at least it looks better than the likely three and five, three and six, I think we were all looking at going into the bye week, you know? Right, right, right. 100%. I mean, yeah, they definitely have a tough, tough stretch. They're, they're going into their toughest stretch of the year, but I think they're catching the teams at the right time. Packers are all beat up. 49ers are all beat up. The, the Buccaneers don't have a cornerback worth his salt on the, worth their, worth his salt on their, on their squad right now. That's, that's healthy. Uh, So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how things develop. It'll be interesting to see how Fields develops, his offense develops as a whole. But uh, all positives from here. All positives from here. Brandon, thanks for jumping on. It's like 9.04, which only matters because I'm trying to suppress a yawn. So thank you for jumping on Post Sportsbook. Where can folks find you online? Thanks for having me. Yeah, you can find me at NFL on Twitter 
and at the defensive download on YouTube, hoping to get something up on there uh, this week. I certainly hope so. And it better not just be Allen Robinson blocking, right? Or <laughs> not blocking. We could do better. No. <laughs> it's not the it's not the blocking YouTube channel. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Thanks so much, Brandon. All right. Thanks for having me. And Bears fans, that's going to do it for this Instant Reaction Podcast. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz, YouTube, Run Pass Opinion, where we stream this podcast recording live every single week. And leave us a like if you like it, whether on YouTube or on your favorite podcasting streaming service, and whatever may have you, every single bit of interaction helps to promote our channel and help us grow our audience. Thank you so much for everything you do. We truly couldn't do this without you. And until Until next time, bear down, and thanks for bearing with me.